If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. For the 13th consecutive month, more than 190 British Columbians have lost their lives to the toxic, unregulated drug supply, according to a new data, which was released by the BC Coroner Service. Now, between January and July of this year, at least 1,455 deaths were attributed to toxic drugs, the largest number ever reported by the BC Coroner Service in the first seven months of a calendar year. Uh, today's numbers, of course, are a stark reminder that we have more to do in regards to protecting our fellow British Columbians. Um, the numbers today, of course, come after major changes were announced on in January of, that, of this year. That was the beginning of a three-year trial period for decriminalizing the possession of small amounts of hard drugs in British Columbia. It was a groundbreaking change in Canada's approach to drug use. Now, our next guest knows a few things about this issue. Kennedy Stewart has been a prominent supporter of decriminalizing both uh, during his tenure as mayor of Vancouver and now his new role as director of the Centre for Public Policy Research at Simon Fraser University. His new book, Decrim, How We Decriminalize Drugs in British Columbia, recounts the progress in addressing this crisis. He joins us now. Kennedy Stewart, thank you for speaking to us today. Hi, Jazz. Thanks for having me on. Now, generally, post-politics, it's a time to decompress. Uh, you instead decided to write a book, which is a good thing, but you got to go through a lot of uh, the challenges that you've had to go through as mayor and and, uh, and probably as an MP as well And when you wrote this book. What convinced you? What, when did you decide, look, I've got to write a book on this issue? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just an issue that haunts me and I think many uh, Vancouverites, British Columbians and Canadians. Uh, I can't I can't walk down the street without talking to somebody that's been affected by this, having a loved one pass away in probably the most horrendous way imaginable. And I just thought, okay, well, I did what I could while I was mayor and now I'm in a different job, but that doesn't mean I stop. Uh, and, you know, uh, my family's lost, a, f- a member of our family has died uh, due to this toxic drugs, and there's many, many other people that are affected. So that's why I thought, and the book is, there's lots of folks out there talking about solutions and things. I thought the value I could add was to explain how you actually make major drug policy change and, and what it takes to uh, to try something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the journey to getting to the point where that the announcement was made, of course, this January, you were not mayor at that time, but obviously the journey was really before that in regards mm-hmm. to working things through with the provincial government, the federal government, senior levels of government are always very difficult to deal with because they're just large institutions and organizations. Walk, walk me through what it was like for you just to, just to deal with those two levels of senior government. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I became mayor in 2018, I, you know, one of the things I campaigned on was was doing what we could do, new steps to tackle the, the poison drug crisis. And uh, really, decriminalization wasn't on the radar at that point because uh, the prime minister told me right to my face twice that he was never going to do this. 
and John Oregon, premier at the time, was also no fan. And so I didn't really think that this was possible, although the uh, chiefs of police of Canada called for this. They wrote a great report in 2018. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry had called for this in a very, very strong way. Um, so so it wasn't really on the radar until uh, Patty Haydu was appointed the health minister, uh, federal health minister, by uh by the Prime Minister Trudeau, and um, I'd known her from my time in Parliament, knew that she actually worked uh, before coming to Parliament in harm reduction services, Mm -hmm. and I talked to her, and uh, her lawyers looked at this whole thing and said, you know, the city of Vancouver can go on its own to decriminalize drugs, and so I said, let's do it, and um, put forward an application to Health Canada, uh, which really laid the groundwork for the provincial application and now the uh, the three-year pilot project. So do you think uh, the, the senior minister was the one who was able to twist the arm or convince the prime minister, and that eventually led to the premier of BC, Premier Organ, to also look at this issue differently? Yeah, I mean, the book does kind of explain all the, all the, mm-hmm. the intrigue behind that, and it's probably a lot to go into here, but it was... The minister, the federal health minister, actually had independent discretion in this area. So... She didn't have to go to cabinet. She didn't have to go to the prime minister. It was outlined in the in the act that she could do this on her own. So she took a risk, even though she knew it wasn't popular within her cabinet, and really got the ball going. Uh, in the end, uh, I'm no longer mayor. She's no longer health minister. So you can kind of draw your conclusions as to as to what those kind of moves uh, do for political careers. But um, that's what it took. And I think any fur- future changes are going to take politicians uh, taking the same level of risk. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things you talked about, just as mayor, and, and it isn't directly specific to this issue, but it's also just being a mayor, you sort of broke down the opposition that you had to deal with, uh, from the NIMBYs mm-hmm. to the gentrifiers to the haters, uh, and uh, you've referred to it as uh, Sim City as well, mm-hmm. in regards to our present mayor. Walk me through just the, the challenges of getting things done in this city, and, and when you sort of describe some of these people in regards to the different types of opposition. Uh, when you talked about NIMBYs uh, and then you talked about uh, gentrifiers, walk me through some of the opposition yeah. that you had to deal with. Sure. So um, on specifically on the um, you, you know the drug uh, the drug issue, uh, you know, I don't know how many public hearings I chaired uh, or how many different uh, debates uh, over the four years as mayor, but inevitably folks who were very wealthy from particular neighborhoods would come out and. Uh, say, you know, refer people, and I hate to use triggering words, but as junkies or as, as you know, criminals, and they, and they didn't want these folks in their neighborhoods. And it mm-hmm. was just night after night after night. Um, and so those folks really, I mean, in the end, I think they uh, decided to vote against me because of these policies I was putting in place, fair enough. But, but I think you have to take responsibility for what you're doing. Um, the other is... Uh, you know, overdose, uh, the SIM government has shut down an overdose prevention site in Yaletown or is, or is in, on the verge of shutting it down in the middle of uh, these terrible statistics that you're reading out. Mm-hmm. So th- they were supported, you know, uh, the ABC uh, council and, and mayor were supported by these folks who are really more concerned about, uh, you know, it's some uh, not saving lives, essentially. So... Mm-hmm. You can imagine in the middle of this crisis saying you're going to 
close overdose prevention sites. And that will just lead to more death, which is just horrible. So, so that was part of the lines that were drawn in the 2022 election. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do you think, so do you think this particular issue was probably one of the major issues that caused you to lose the, the mayoralty race be, be, because of the opposition to it, or at least the organized opposition to it? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, COVID really, I mean, you're seeing Polyev do it, you saw Sim do it, you see others do it. You know, opposition, the opposition tends to like to forget that COVID happened and that all these things that have kind of hit our cities across Canada and here just were bad governance. But in fact, it was it was probably the biggest catastrophe to hit the city uh, in our short history, mm-hmm. uh, shutting everything down, downtown shutting, you know, massive revenue shortfalls, all that kind of stuff. And it also led to an increase or helped uh, increase the, the number of people that are dying from, from toxic drugs, as I explained in the book. So then then you just, you know, just say everything is broken and blame the incumbents, um, you know, and, and that is you're seeing this play out at the national level now, too, with, with Pierre Polyev. So the problem is once you get in office after running a campaign like that, um, you know, crime is up almost 10 percent now over the last year. So you, you kind of. You say everything's broken and you're going to fix it, but if you don't really have any ideas or you don't try something new, things will continue to get worse. And I think that's, you know, that's my fear at the national level, and I think that's what's happening here in Vancouver now. Mm-hmm. Now, at the beginning of this interview, I had mentioned the uh, the drug toxicity deaths, 196 mm-hmm. this that's month in great. July, uh, just under 1,500 deaths since January of this year. Now, we had... Um, uh, Eleanor Sturko on uh, BC Liberal, uh, BC United mm-hmm. MLA uh, from South Surrey, uh, and she says that we've put too much emphasis on one part of treatment uh, when we talk about drug decriminalization, but we should be also be looking at treatment. I want you to listen to her comments from earlier today. Sure. We need to stop trying to eat the elephant bite by bite and start looking at the entire elephant and dealing with it all at once. So we can't just put one emphasis on one part of a treatment system or uh, funding one part of harm reduction or looking at housing first or looking at, you know, simply one piece of the puzzle at a time. We have to look at the whole animal and attack this as a, as a true recovery-oriented system of care that deals with people from the very onset of even dealing with prevention in the education system right through to aftercare once someone is back on their feet and um, recovered to the best of their abilities. Right now, what we have is the piecemeal approach that's been taken time and again, and it's just not working. Um, now, you take that, what she's had to say, and you know, you'd mentioned Pierre Polygev. He is also pointing to the model in, in Alberta, which is more treatment-focused. Uh, add to that another layer, which is municipalities having to bring in bylaws, basically banning uh, the use of drugs in public places. Um, the rollout of, of of this decriminalization, do you think it could have been done better or do you think there were some mistakes made along the way? Because I'm not sure yet the public has that there's buy-in from the public on this issue. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, the clip that you played me, I had no idea what she was saying. It didn't really make any sense to me. We have to uh, eat one elephant one bite at a time. It's like, tell that to a mother who's just lost her son. Like, you have to have, if you're the opposition critic for this, you have to have better ideas than, than that, and that's quite disappointing. Um, on the other side of it, uh, decrim is a, is a minor adjustment to make, and I make this all the way through the book. You know, the poli- you know activists have been calling it forever, but it was really the police, the National Association of Police Chiefs in 2018 said, 
you know, we, it makes no sense to arrest a high school student for having a small amount of drugs that they have to get education in. And if they become addicted, um, they have to get treatment. However, what the health professionals tell us is that treatment fails if you're, if you're stuck on fentanyl. Treatment fails 90% of the time. And that's really why we have to rely on the advice of the of the of the healthcare professionals, of the police, of the uh, of the of the health science researchers to give us the best best path forward. Because like today, somebody died in Vancouver. You know, this week, 150 people um, overdosed in Vancouver. Like this is happening every day, every week. And I just feel there has to be some kind of of summit or something pulled together by the premier Mm -hmm. to say, look, let's put aside our partisan differences here and come up with, uh, with, with a solution that's going to work. And it will probably be politically risky to do that because it it is so out of control now um, that nobody seems to have answers. So you want, you want a summit of some sort, like we get everybody on board, sit down, let's figure this out together. Yeah. I mean, the BC liberals declared the health crisis right in 2016. That was Terry Lake. So it was recognized by, that government, but were you there? That I think you were. No, I wasn't. But I, but Terry Lake was the one uh, Minister of Health yeah. uh, who, 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 and he, and he still speaks on this issue as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's what we have to do. And unfortunately, it, it's turned into, you know, y- you want to punish either a government or or a political opponent, and and the poor folks who are are dropping dead in the streets are the victims of this kind of discussion. So. You know, it's going to be difficult, but um, the numbers are just going up. So I don't expect decrim to, uh, you know, if if you have 10 people dying, you know, maybe decrim saves one of those 10 people. It's other measures like, and I agree, uh, more treatment for sure, but we, but it can't just be abstinence-based treatment. It has to be also safer supply, which the police and healthcare professionals uh, also agree with and are calling for uh, VM, uh, you know, uh, very, very uh, strongly. Uh, final question to you. This is a three-year pilot project in regards to decriminalization. If the numbers, mm-hmm. the numbers that I read, read out earlier today in regards to the amount that have died, if these numbers do not turn around after three years, should we walk away from this, 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 uh, this experiment? Well, what does walking away mean? It means that you're arresting people and putting them in jail for possessing small amounts of drugs. And that doesn't seem to make any sense. So, in fact, in, in many communities, like in Vancouver, the, the level of arrests were very low, uh, you know, prior to decriminalization. But it was on the onus of the individual police officer to make that call. And that put too much pressure on the local police, right? Like, if you, if you let somebody keep their drugs and they overdose, you're morally and perhaps even legally responsible for that. So the police were saying, look, this needs to be legislated. It can't just be us making judgment calls every time we run into somebody with drugs, which is a lot. I think something like 20% of Canadians have used hard drugs in their lifetime. So this is a very big issue. You know, uh, we talk about elephants. Well, this is uh, this is the size of a planet. Like this is a huge, a huge concern across the entire country. Decrim is a small step. Uh, we have to listen to the the the, the best evidence and, and health officials and police and move further, uh, or else the bodies are just going to keep piling up, which is just too horrendous to to conceive of. Kennedy Stewart, thanks for your time today. Thank you.